Reminding us that God is much bigger than we too often think, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. God's not bound by your idea. He's not bound by your resource. He's not bound by how you think you can figure things out. He's not bound by me. He's so much bigger and greater and grander and smarter and wiser and more powerful. And he's so much more than you and me. And when I trust him, all of his resources become my resources. But I have to trust him to do his will, his way, in his timing. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Your God is too small, said one Christian writer in answer to the skepticism of his time. And of course, the right response to skepticism is not to limit God, but to trust and obey his word. Well, today's Abounding Grace will help us do just that by answering the skeptics and help with our own skepticism. We're glad you're with us. Our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor, is going through 2 Kings. In chapter 7, we encounter a skeptic who not only limits God, but has the potential of weakening the resolve of God's people. Here now with today's lesson is Pastor Ed. 2 Kings chapter 7 and Psalm 37. 2 Kings chapter 7 and Psalm 37, as we find the children of Israel under the leadership of King Jehoram face a great crisis, a famine has hit the land. And famines were catastrophic events. I think the closest thing that we could come to in understanding this is when a hurricane comes in, you know, in Florida, and they just wipe out all the food. There's nothing available in the stores, and everything is wiped out, and you go into shop, and there's just nothing left. Imagine that happening on a national scale when there's nothing available. And in this particular famine, inflation was skyrocketing. The price for things, as we saw in our last chapter, was outrageous. And it got so bad that they began to participate in cannibalism. And it was an unfortunate thing that even was predicted in Scripture that would happen. But Elisha is, this is all happening with the backdrop of Elisha, the man of God. This man of faith who was given insight into the spiritual realm that no matter what was happening in the physical realm, he was so close in his relationship with God that he could see things that others couldn't see. And he could hear things that others couldn't hear that came directly from God. And notice in verse 1 of chapter 7, Elisha says, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now Elisha in great boldness speaks on behalf of God. Notice how it opens up. It says, Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Now, anytime 
you have a man of God, for example, in a Bible study like this, we open the Bible, and when we read the Bible, this is exactly what's happening. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord. We would do well when someone opens the Bible and starts speaking the word to it, to listen and to receive. And if you happen to be walking in the Spirit, or you happen to be in a place of great faith, you're going to receive. And Elisha, with great boldness, says, I have a word for you. I have a word from the Lord. It is directly from God. This, this is what God says. Tomorrow, food is going to be available miraculously. Prices will drop dramatically. And it will be a time of rejoicing. Now, if you're in the time of famine and you're hungry and it is crisis time and a man of God comes and declares that it's going to get better, you're really faced with one of two options, aren't you? The first option is you respond in faith and you say, praise the Lord, we've been waiting for this. Or you could even say, we've been praying for this. Or you can respond like this officer here. And this officer responds with great skepticism at the word of God. He's skeptical. He has his reasons for unbelief. It's everything that he sees. And it's everything that he experiences. And it's the empty shelves. And it's the high prices. And it's the cannibalism. It's the difficulty. He has his reasons for unbelief. But Elisha strongly affirms that the word that he gave will come to pass, but he will not experience it. He won't get to enjoy it. Now, I have to say there are those times in our lives when we are met with skepticism when sharing the truth surrounding God. We live in a skeptical, anti-God society, not very interested in the things of God, offended at the message of the gospel, even pushing back very hard against us. And probably the thing that we hear the most when we begin to speak about the things of God, especially in our own lives, is people have a tendency to try to make fun and make light of the work of God. Oh, that you've chosen to live that way, but don't you, that's old-fashioned. Or you've chosen to believe the Bible, but that's an antiquated book that was just written by men. And here we are, gathered together, listening in on the radio, watching live on a, on a video screen somewhere, in an environment of faith, and an environment of expectation, and an environment of hope, and worship. Some you've come specifically during the middle of the week, because you, you want to hear from God, you need to be encouraged by God, you need to pull yourself out of your current situation, gather together with other saints. You've come, some of you come to sing tonight with others. Some of you have come just to pray with others. Some of you have come to, to get a time of refuge and posture yourself in a place of readiness and reception. But the world in which we live and the world in which we work and the world in which we shop and the world where we consume their media and we live among this world is not like this place of reception. I know you don't need me to tell you that, but it's good to be reminded that it's not odd that you see that and experience that and just wonder why you seem not to fit in this current world. Why is it that you seem not to fit in? Why is it that you don't think certain jokes are so funny? Why is it that you don't want to take advantage of your boss? Why is it that you feel like you're a, a stranger? Even though the Bible does declare you're a stranger. So what happens? You live day after day, week after week, neighbors, work, bills, fixing the car, and pressures, and 
And on and on the list goes. And then we come out of the world for a few moments to be in a place of reception. You know, the world in which we live is anti-God, but it's not anything new. It's not anything new when it comes to the things of God. Jot it down in John chapter 16, verse 1. It says, these things I've spoken to you. Jesus is speaking and he says, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he's offering God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. This is a common occurrence in every generation. And herein lies this tension in this hostile environment that we live in. Herein lies one of the main reasons why you're not so vocal about your relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason why you don't take the opportunities that God gives to you and actually becomes a habitual avoidance of entering, of entering in the, into the conversation with the hope of Jesus Christ it's because you fear people. And because you don't want to deal with any more drama than you already have in your life. <laughs> you know, and so you know, you've got this option of whether I'm going to, hey, you know, somebody's saying some nonsensical thing in the office and, and you know, the Lord just kind of impresses upon you. No, 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 this is actually the reality. But then in that moment that God impresses upon you, talk yourself out of it and you hear the word of the Lord, you read the word of the Lord, you get prompted to share the word of the Lord and then you're, you're taken back by fear or you're taken back by just protecting even a small little part of your life with comfort. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. Or in the New King James, it says what? The fear of man is a snare. But to trust in the Lord means safety. And I believe as we walk through our fears and taking the steps of faith of sharing the truth and love, encouraging others, sharing what God is doing in your life becomes easier even if it is met with resistance, sacrifice, you're stepping in by faith. The good news is that you shared and you were honorable to God and you're not responsible for the outcome. And so what, what is it to share a little more drama? Why is it that we're so skeptical? Why is it that we're so fearful? Why is it that when we have the word of God that's very plain before us, that we receive it with such skepticism on a personal level? We don't only just learn about this sense of Elisha moving forward in boldness, but there's something else we learn from this officer. And, and he's so skeptical. Now, of course, the environment with the king and the leadership of Israel, it's not an environment of faith. And, and that's where, you know, breaking into this theme of backsliding and not being around other believers. And remember, I was just thinking, I've been meditating on this for the last three or four days uh, since this weekend. And that is, if you're in the wrong place with the wrong people, you're going to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. It just has so resonated with me. It's such, it's such the, the target and such the point in so many people's lives. And so if you're not in the, with the right people, and you're not with people that are encouraging you and building you up, and not to remove yourself from the world, that's not what he advocates. Paul said, when I wrote to you guys things, I didn't tell you that you should leave the world, but that you should be careful who you're hanging out with. You should be careful who's speaking into your life. You should be careful of what, where you're gaining, what kind of fellowship you're gaining. You should be careful and to walk in the wisdom of God. And skepticism, where does that come from in a true believer? You could even ask the question for you today. 
you could say to God, God, why am I so skeptical? Why does skepticism undermine my faith? And here's the problem. The problem with this man is that when he heard of God's great power and promise, he relied on his own mind to try to figure out if it was really possible or not. This was a miraculous provision of God. And when he heard of the miraculous provision of God, he began to think it through and try to figure it out. So in his mind, the only way that God could solve the famine is if he opened up windows in heaven and dropped food down like a, like a big drop, an airdrop. And so what does he say? Even if God opened up the heavens and he dropped food like a big airdrop, it wouldn't happen. I mean, even if God did that, it wouldn't happen. How could it be? And he answered the promise of God with a question limiting God by his own mind. And I have to think that there are those listening to me that have done the same thing. Limiting God to our own resources, our own mind, if we could figure it out. And here's what it looks like. When a problem arises in our lives, the first thing we tend to do is try to figure out possible solutions to the problem. So we work this angle, we work this angle, and we start thinking through, well, what if this happens? And what if I try this? And try to get out of the problem. But there are a couple of challenges with that. First of all, when we enter into a problem trying to figure it out, when then we take our prayer life and we take that thought process into our prayer life, our prayers become direction-type prayers to God. And you say, Ed, what do you mean? Well, when we pray, we start telling God how to figure it out because we've already figured it out. You know, God, if you would just do this, can you just make this happen? Because I know that if you make this happen, then this will happen and this will happen and you'll solve the problem. And we start telling God what to do in our prayer life. Anybody amen that? I don't hear many amens. Anybody familiar with that? I mean, it may not be as direct as I just shared it, but I mean, come on. We come to God, we've got it all figured out, and if he just works this one out, and if you just take care of this, that's a problem at work. And so you start praying, well, well, Lord, you know, I did this and I did this, so if you'll handle this and you'll take this and I go into my boss and God, just could you make it happen? And we begin to pray directing God. And haven't we learned by now that God does not follow our directions? He doesn't follow our directions. Then this is what happens next. So when you have gone through a series of directional prayers and God doesn't answer the prayers that you've been praying, you get mad at God for not doing what you told him to do. And it's a subtle shift, but an important one, as you begin to turn on God. And you respond to God with selfish impatience, starting to accuse him of not hearing and not responding and not caring and not answering and not helping and not loving. God, you just don't love me. You don't care about me. You've forgotten me. And we begin to speak. We're not just skeptical anymore. We've become anti-God in this problem. We've become an accuser of God. We, we have reduced our lives in that moment to the level of the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. And who are we to bring a railing accusation against God? Because he didn't answer our directional prayers? Because he didn't come through the way we wanted him to come through? Because he didn't do what we wanted him to do? The way we wanted him to do it? In the time that he wa we wanted him to do it? And then suddenly, out of the blue, as we're in this moment, out of the great grace and mercy of God, just out of the blue, unexpectedly, God begins to work. And he answers our prayer. And he answers it in a way that we, we've never thought of. 
It didn't cross our mind. It wasn't even on our radar. And then his faithfulness shines through and his answers come because we don't have all the facts and we don't have all the resources. And God is able to do things that we can't even imagine in ways that would have never crossed our minds. He has more resources than we do. He has more wisdom than we do. He has more facts than we do. And we would do well not to come to God with directional prayers, but rather to come to God and just lay the situation before him. Just lay it before him, Lord. This is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I'm going through. How is it, Lord, that you're going to take care of the problem that I'm in? That's where Psalm 37 comes in. One of my favorite psalms. One of my favorite encouragements in times of difficulty. One of the ways that I can come to and be reminded not to come to God and direct him and boss him around, but rather to surrender my situation to him, to trust him in my life. That, that I come and say, Father, I need help. Please intercede. Please solve this. Please reveal to me. And so what does the Bible say in Psalm 37, verse 1? Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. And notice all these directions. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I just noticed as I'm reading this, I started smiling. How can you not smile at this? Just delight yourself in the Lord. Just enjoy him. Feed on his faithfulness. Isn't it in times of problems? And it isn't in times of directing God and being a little disappointed with God that isn't it those times where you forget his faithfulness and his goodness? You just think, man, how do you even have the power and the strength to pray to him? How is it that you're even in relationship with him? How is it that your heart is beating right now? How is it that you're taking your next breath? How is it that you just put down a sandwich or finished it? How is it that you're drinking tea? It's the faithfulness of God. Why is it that he even hears us? He's not obligated to answer us, and yet he does. Commit your way, verse 5, to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Notice verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. Why? It only causes harm. It's the answer to skepticism. And you go through in any of these directions. There's quite a few of them in there. Quite a few verbs that speak to us of action in times of difficulty. Don't fret. Trust in the Lord. Come back now as we pick up in verse 3. Making amazing progress. But it's just so encouraging. I couldn't, I couldn't just get past the sense of this skepticism. Because I think if we would go home and look in the mirror we would see a lot of skepticism toward God in our hearts. We would see a lot of skepticism in our lives and in our minds. You know, for example, we have this short-term mission team up here sharing of the uh, wonderful work that God did through them, sharing how exciting. And I wonder, I always wonder, I wonder who's listening or watching that the Lord said, go on that trip. But in skepticism, you didn't go on that trip. And it's not that God's condemning you, and it's not because there'll be opportunities, but it is God that he's revealing to you 
Man, the answer to the word of God is not skepticism, it's faithful obedience. And when he says something that even blows your mind, even if the windows of heaven, well, look, God's not gonna, he's not bound by your idea. He's not bound by your resource. He's not bound by how you think you can figure things out. He's not bound by me. He's so much bigger and greater and grander and smarter and wiser and more powerful. And he's so much more than you and me. And when I trust him, all of his resources become my resources. But I have to trust him to do his will, his way, in his timing. And that's just that place of rest. Now in the midst of this, verse 3, it says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we'll enter the city and the famine is in the city, we'll die there. If we sit here, we'll die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of the horses and the noise of a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, verse 7, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. So indeed, God provided just as he said he would. But there's still much more to glean from this story, and we'll do that next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns right here on Abounding Grace. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that today. Pastor Ed, in 2 Kings chapter 7, we encountered a skeptic, and many of us encounter them on a regular basis. We have a resource that can help. Isn't that right? Yeah, Larry, we have a, quite a few recommendations uh, when it comes to skeptics. We want to equip you. You guys that are listening, we want you to be able to give an answer, like Peter said, for the hope that lies within you. We want you to be able to sanctify yourself uh, so that the Lord would use you. Uh, one resource with when it comes to skeptics that I would encourage uh, is you, you pick up a book called When Skeptics Ask by Norman Geisler. When Skeptics Ask by Norman Geisler. It actually is a companion volume to When Critics Ask. And those two resources together, I think you need to get them used. I don't think they're in print anymore. But they're very helpful in learning how to answer difficult questions. Uh, when skeptics ask, when critics ask. Now, now that we're coming up on Christmas and there's that wave of skepticism surrounding Christmas, I would strongly suggest you pick up our book of the month, uh, The Case for Christmas. It has solid, foundational, uh, truthful, factual, biblical answers to those that have questions about Christmas. But there's a lot of resources, fantastic things available. Those resources are, are a great beginning. I use When Critics Ask at least weekly, uh, sometimes more than that, when I host a live radio broadcast 
that comes from Grace FM here in Aurora, Colorado. And I always have when critics ask open uh, when Bible questions come in. It's just so good. And the Lord will use it greatly. So pick them up. And I know the Lord uh, will encourage you. Again, that's The Case for Christmas. Request a few copies so that you'll have them on hand next time you encounter a skeptic. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. Calvaryco.store. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. Help us finish the year strong. To make a donation to the ministry, you can do that online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. We'll get back into Second Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.